0: The following audio is from Gold Country Baptist Church in Shingle Springs, California. Visit gcb.church to find more resources and to learn about our church. Anthropology is the, the biblical understanding, the biblical category of theology whereby we are seeking to understand from God What his purpose for us is, uh, what our design is, what it means to be a man and a woman, our specific roles that are glorious and beautiful and have uh, eternal value and and weight to them. Uh, That is primarily as we think about marriage and uh, what it means to be a woman who is uh, a helper to mankind, uh, women who are wise and servant-hearted and uh, gentle spirits, uh, redeemed by Christ, who are a blessing to the world and to the church, who disciple and train and minister within the body of Christ to raise up another generation. That is glorious, isn't it? That is beautiful. Mothers who train their children and, and love their husbands and pray for them and support them as leaders of their homes. But they do that in submission to Christ out of reverence for Christ and and men who are called to lead and to feed and to to guide and to protect their Families and their churches and their communities who are called by God to love their wives as Christ has loved the church. That is, He gave Himself up sacrificially for her. He laid down His life. He died in the place of a broken and sinful and, and even rebellious bride so that He might purify her and present to Himself a pure and spotless bride. So these are glorious, right? There's nothing better than that than to understand the the roles of men and women uh, in the world and in the church, and they have eternal significance and and heavenly significance. And so that's but that's radically different than than the world's views of men and women, isn't it? Um, but that's that's part of what it means to be studying uh, biblical anthropology. And, and so our goal, as we think about what a man and a woman is, what it means to be a boy or a girl, what it means to, to fulfill those roles in the world. Our, our goal is not to, to smash over the head uh, of those trapped in LGBTQ sins and, and say, you're, you're, you're stupid, you're silly, you're ridiculous, but it is to show them the glories of God's creation and, and His wisdom. And the goodness of God in, in creating men and women the way that he did. And so our goal is not to defeat sinners. That's kind of where we left off last week as you look at points one and two of your outline there. It's not to defeat sinners. Uh, it's not, it's not our, our, our battle is not primarily against any person in your life, whether in the LGBTQ community or in government or in the pharmaceutical industry. Our fight is against ungodly ideas that, that Satan is is spewing and he has ever since the garden, you remember? And that in our flesh we we love to, to, to eat up and, and consume because it appeals to the flesh. It it appeals to our desires to uh, rather than submit to the authority of God, we make ourselves. The authority, we we become the determiners of what is truth, what is true, and and right and good, and and that's that's what all people do, and so. But our goal, our goal is to uh, is for sinners to become holy, right? That's our goal. Now we can't make sinners holy. We understand that only Christ can uh, can wash and regenerate and renew, make someone new. It's He alone who does that. But it's that they would come to know him, and that he would make them holy; that he would renew their desires, uh, their their corrupt desires, just like we had before Christ changed us, would be made new, uh, would be given f- uh, life. That our hearts would a heart of stone would be removed, and and a heart of flesh would be put inside of us, and his spirit would be given to us. That's what we long for, sinners, to have and to know. And so, so we've got to remember that as we think through uh, someone who is dealing with uh they're thinking about transgenderism they they think maybe they're a, a a man trapped in a woman's body or vice versa or that they they should be something other than what they are what they need primarily is a new heart and a new mind through christ so that they can understand themselves properly they can understand who they are as a human being and, and only christ can do that and so that that kind of the conclusion of our second point leads us into our third point about a biblical anthropology. And here's the third one. A proper anthropology, that is the the study of man made in the image of God, helps us to avoid common, incorrect diagnosis. Now, let me throw it out there to our our medical friends. What is a diagnosis? What what was a technical definition of a diagnosis? Anyone got that? Anyone care to share? An explanation of physical problems. That's really good. And you're not even a nurse. Any kind of problem. Uh, uh, an explanation of a physical problem. Okay, that's. I think that's really helpful. Or yeah, a spiritual. Or a spiritual problem, right? Yeah, as we're trying to discern spiritual problems. Okay. Uh, I know Matt. Anyone else in the medical field? Yes. <laughs> the name or a disease process that is responsible for. Okay, so did you say the name of a disease process or an ailment that someone is what that someone
1: is experiencing
0: that's that's okay that's really helpful so we're trying to identify we're trying to name the disease process or the the ailment uh, that that's causing harm to them so that's that's really good uh, so that so that's um, that's what we're trying to do a, a biblical anthropology it helps us to avoid incorrect and uh, common incorrect diagnoses, uh, people's, and primarily, we're talking about people's identity and their desires. We're, we're trying to diagnose what is going on with their battle over their identity and their desires, their their, their desire problems. So I I really appreciate that, Matt. So so there's a problem in the heart of a person who is wrestling with lgbtq sins or uh or heterosexual sins or or any sin for that matter they are being driven by a incorrect desire and that's that's a problem because it puts them at opposition to god himself who demands that all people everywhere repent turn from sin and and follow him through Christ. And so so, a biblical anthropology, it helps us to avoid common incorrect diagnosis. And there's more than a few reasons that, that people often give when trying to understand why someone uh, might be identifying as gay or trans, etc. And what, here, what are some of the, the common um, diagnoses for these issues that either you've heard historically or, or you've maybe heard uh, even more recently? There's a lot of Hormones and soy and other foods. Okay. Yeah, so so hormonal things, maybe even that kind of popular phrase. It's maybe a little less popular now, but chemical imbalances and things like that, which even that is is debatable whether those things are even scientifically provable. Uh, okay, so good. Hormonal, uh, other other kind of reasons uh, that, that uh, or, or diagnoses that have been given for why someone has gone down the path of... Uh, LGBTQ identity, trauma, child trauma trauma, 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 child abuse, child trauma. Yeah, yep. And and again, we're not making light of any of this. This is this really serious stuff, right? Really serious. Okay, other other reasons. In, in fact, uh, just as you're thinking about, I had a, a co-worker years ago who was living a, a, a lesbian lifestyle, and she had a father who was abusive to her. And uh, her mother was an addict. she didn't have a godly example of a, of a mother and her husband or her, her father was abusive, and she didn't trust men. so she gravitated in her flesh to to women and went down that path and And myself and one other person in my church who, who was a, a gal and a friend trying to get to know her, she began to, to trust me as a as a coworker and a friend. but I was kind of the, one of the first men in her life that were uh, kind to her. Um, so that was a really interesting experience. Yeah. So childhood trauma, abuse, what's that? Mental illness. Yeah. Yeah. So th- these are some really common things. In fact, for, for a long time, gender dysphoria, in fact, you, I think you still find it in the latest DSM. Uh, mm, that might not be true. I, yeah, I, I I haven't looked it up recently. I should have. I I know I've done some reading on that recently, but gender dysphoria, you know, a a, a confusion about uh, what gender you are, uh, it was it, thought of as a, as a mental disease, a, a disorder, a a uh, um, a disease. So abuse, maybe an absent father, even genetics. Right, someone might maybe heard I, I was born this way. Um, but again, those are, those are common, incorrect diagnoses. Now, now, while these factors might contribute to people's uh, kind of disordered desires, and that's a, that's a term that, that I appreciate. John Piper kind of coined that. Disordered desires. What is it that someone desires? Well, they desire intimacy. They desire relationship. They desire um, pleasure and affection and relationship and, and all of that. But the problem is, in our sin, because of the fall, our desires get all disordered, our flesh is set against the will of God and His desires for us, and so our desires are disordered. They're they're all there; they're just mixed up and sinful and in opposition to God. And so, while those factors might contribute to people's disordered desires, and they're sad and they're serious, and we should we shouldn't you know downplay those. We shouldn't ridicule people for for maybe kind of uh, stating those as their as they the reason that they're in this lifestyle, those are not the root cause. And that's where as believers, we need to know that the root cause is what? It's sin, right? For our disordered desires, the root cause is sin. All people are made in the image of God and, and that means after Adam, all people are broken, uh, are also broken by sin's curse. So sin is the problem and, and to, to get to that Uh, understanding biblically turn to romans chapter 1 and we're going to read these verses verses 18 to 32 we're going to kind of walk through these these verses this morning as we think about a proper anthropology and really a a correct diagnosis for these issues romans chapter 1 verses 18 to 32 i know it's i know it's a big chunk but i I think it'll be helpful to kind of get the whole scope of it here ron do you have it brother would you mind reading kind of the first section, 18 to 22? 18 to 22. Thank you, brother. a little different. Okay. Mm. What is revealed is God's anger from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people when their wickedness keeps suppressing the truth, keeps suppressing the truth. Because what is known about God is plain to them. God has made it plain to them. Ever since the creation of the universe, his invisible qualities, both its eternal power and the divine nature, have <clears throat> been clearly because they can be understood for what he has made. Therefore, they have no excuse, because although they know who God is, they do not glorify him as God or thank him. On the contrary, they have become futile in the thinking, and their unconcerned hearts have become darkened. Claiming to be wise, they have become fools. In fact, they've changed the glory of the immortal God from mere images, like a mortal human being, or like birds, animals, or reptiles. Mm. Okay. And then and then, could I have someone read verses 24 to 32? Therefore God okay. gave Thanks. them over in the
1: lusts of their hearts, to so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they changed the truth of God for a lie. Lord, worshiped the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them over to dishonorable passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also the males abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another. Males with males committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Mm. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them over to an unfit mind to do those things that are not proper. Having been filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, they are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, violent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, and unmerciful. Mm. And although they know the righteous requirement of God, that those who practice such things
0: are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but also give party approval to those who practice such mm. yeah. So we could summarize by saying whatever is wrong in the world, whatever is, is wrong in the world is connected to this description right here of man's fallenness. Uh, and, and there is a lot wrong in the world. And, and especially we see kind of outlined here a kind of a spiral of um, this down into destruction of really the, the sexual revolution. Uh, This is, this is exactly what it, what it depicts here. And and so when we're faced with kind of the, the utter depravity of the sins of our day and this, these issues in particular, we need to remember that uh, Satan hates mankind specifically because we're made in the image of God, and he is seeking to destroy that image and, and uh, the bearer of it. That's that's people. But not only that, what this passage indicates is that mankind themselves are responsible for their own actions, their own ri- uh, high-handed rebellion against God. N- none of us, nor anyone in the world, can point to the devil and say, the devil made me do it. Uh, I-, I'm, I am... Uh, I'm living the way I am. I'm living in sin because Satan made me do it. Now, Satan can tempt. He could even put thoughts into our heads, right? Even Judas, it was put into the to the heart of, of Judas to betray Jesus by Satan himself. Satan is involved, but, but what this text shows is that we are responsible in our sin for our rebellion. So I want to just kind of walk through this text a little bit to see... Uh, to see how it is understanding this text, how it will help us to understand how to minister to those trapped in these sins. And now, just just to be clear, it's kind of beyond the scope of this morning to say everything about this text that we could. Um, but what's clear, what's clear, is that Paul, with kind of with absolute clarity, describes uh, homosexual practice as a tragic and destructive. And disastrous sin. And it's a violation of God's created order. It is absolutely a violation of of his created order. And and so there's a really interesting structure to Paul's argument here. After kind of portraying and displaying the the saving power of the gospel in verses 16 to 17. Remember those verses from, from last week. That the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. Paul reveals in verses 18 to 20, why it is that all mankind needs the gospel. And namely because God's anger and his wrath is kindled against the entire human race as they have all collectively ignored and belittled and rejected him as the the great treasure that he is. And so, um, But then it's in verses 21 to 27 that Paul reveals kind of these these three um, dark exchanges that the human race has made. And and they they were deadly and disastrous exchanges that that really have led us to where we are in the world now. And so as you read Romans 1, this is no surprise to God. Uh, He was not caught off guard by any of this. In fact, God has always known in the infinite mind of God, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sovereign, this was part of the plan and he knew that as adam and eve sinned and rebelled against him that this would be the course of the world in fact he ordained that it would be exactly that way and yet is righteous and holy and sinless and we are accountable there's a bit of a mystery there i I realize that in fact there's a massive mystery there uh, that we have to wrestle with but let's watch how god kind of uh, uh spells this out for us through the pen of paul first We'll see the glory of God for idols. Look again. Well, that's in, in verses 21 to 23. This is the first disastrous exchange that takes place here. He says, look at verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking And their foolish hearts were darkened. And then, verse 23 they exchanged the glory of God for uh, uh, the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So there's an exchange of the glory of God for idols. And so, notice that human beings, in their natural, tragically uh, depraved and sinful uh, condition, they exchanged, they, they traded the glory of the incorruptible God for the counterfeit treasures of idolatry. They traded the, the only God who is for something that is made by human hands, not only that, creatures, and really our counterfeit treasures. And so whether it's the gods of of Marduk or Molech, these these evil, pagan, false gods that did not make the world, or the gods of money and and materialism, uh, mankind as a whole, we traded God for what is worthless. That was, that was the first kind of exchange there, and that's in verses 21 to 23. The second one you have in your notes, if you're taking notes, is that they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their flesh to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies, because they, verse, uh, their bodies among themselves, and, and we see what that dishonoring of their bodies was, because, verse 25, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator and so here we see kind of the dark exchange that this exchange is the truth for a lie on our own in our sin we have no appetite for the truth of god and like paul says instead we prefer to make up lies and to believe them as if they were true and that's exactly what paul is describing here notice in verse 24 look at verse 24 uh, and in verse twenty six, it says that after each exchange, God, uh, God progressively hands sinners over to more and more wickedness. Right? It's like, okay, uh, you, 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 that act of rebellion. Well, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna let you down a little further, and you will experience the the, the increasingly disastrous effects of your rebellion and your sin against me. And in verse twenty four, notice that. That God delivers the unbelieving world. It says in the lusts of their hearts to impurity or to uncleanness, and that word uncleanness is a term that's associated with immorality, especially sexual immorality. And so the chain reaction is is this is it's terrifying. It's remove God from the center of uh, from the from the center of. Life and existence, and it inevitably takes uh, uh, what inevitably takes its place is immoral conduct. When you remove God from the center, what floods in is immorality. That's what Paul's describing there. That's that's kind of the chain, um, the chain effect, the chain reaction there. And and this text tells us that all of this corruption, all of this perverseness, including LGBTQ sins, is still not even the most heinous crime that God has in mind here. In fact, it's only a symptom of the deeper problem, a more terrifying issue, namely that God himself has been exchanged for an idol that's even more disastrous and terrifying than because and we know that because God can save the gospel can save anyone out of any sin but the most terrifying and the most disastrous sin is that God has been replaced by an idol of any kind and the results are disastrous let's look at number the third uh, the third uh, kind of exchange that happens in these verses in verses 26 to 27 The third is the design of God for what is shameful. And to be sure, all sin is shameful, but in particular, the sins that we're thinking about here, that we're addressing here. In fact, look again at verses 26. For this reason, it says, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. Remember, class one, God is sovereign. God is not hands tied, out of control. This thing is just spinning wildly and I've got no control of this thing. God is the one, for this reason, God, it's God who gives them up to dishonorable passions. And what are those? For their women exchanged natural relationships, relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another. Now I know that is, uh, that is, not the you know, the stuff that we use for calls to worship on Sunday morning, right? That, that's not stuff that compels us to, to, to worship and to sing praises, but it does sober us. It does cause us to, to think seriously about the depravity of man and their need for the Savior. And so you see this progression of the exchanges and how Paul's demonstrating the, the, the terrifying, horrifying results of exchanging God and the truth. You see that? That third dark exchange of the human race is the giving up of relations with members of the opposite sex to pursue them with those of even the same sex. That's not funny. It's it's serious, it's disastrous to the world, to a society, to homes, to children, to churches that, that cave on these issues. So in other words, LGBTQ activity is a result and a manifestation of rejecting God as the supreme treasure of the universe. So if someone says, "Well I was you know just born this way this is, this is just who I am, what we have to remember is that they are living the way that they are because of their sin, their rebellion against God, because they have not treasured God as the greatest. Thing in the world, but they have treasured something else. They've exchanged something else for the, the sweetness of knowing God. Just as we do. Just as we did in our sin. That's that's the exact state that we were in when God saved us. We were exchanging actively the glory of God for, for other sins, for, self, for the approval of man, for pride, for arrogance, for the love of money, for the love of popularity or pleasure, or whatever it is, we were in the same condition. And so it brings us to our, our fourth and, and maybe most important point of a biblical anthropology. And it's this, a biblical anthropology, as we think about man made in the image of God and all the purposes of God for men and women, it affirms, a biblical anthropology affirms repentance and it rejects sinful acts and desires. Now, we have to see ourselves in Romans 1 because Romans 1 says that the wrath of God, verse 18, is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. All ungodliness. And not just the ungodliness of the LGBTQ uh, world and sins that, that came as a result of this rejection of God, but all ungodliness. God is revealing his wrath against sin. And we, so we all have these disordered desires. And the current culture wants to identify and judge people according to what what group they belong to, and by your latest mistake or once you're labeled, that that label sticks. In our world, the, the sin becomes kind of a, a badge of honor, right? If, if you are if you fly the LGBTQ uh, symbol, that is the 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 rainbow flag, right? You are you're a hero. You are are a hero in our world. It's worn as a badge of honor, but that's a false view of identity. The correct view, the biblical view, it leaves room for change through repentance. You are not your sin. And that's what we need to tell people. We need to, in love, tell them, hey friend, I understand what you're saying. I, I hear what you're saying, who you're saying that you are, but could I show you from the Bible? I don't know if anyone's ever shown you from the Bible What the Bible has to say about sin, about about all kinds of sin, and and specifically the sins of, of sexual perversion and sexual sins. And you could walk them through this passage and show them that it is not a good thing to identify with what God calls sin. But that the a correct view of mankind, it leaves room for change through repentance. You can tell them. I, I want to see you know and love God and be satisfied in Him and, and have a true identity. And what God calls us, all of us to do is to turn from sin, to, to repent, to turn away from sin and run toward God in obedience. And that's what a biblical anthropology affirms, that even though man is broken in our sins and that's displayed in, in a myriad of ways, that God is able through the gospel, that is through the, the perfect uh, God-man, who is the perfect image of God, he is able to restore and redeem and renew people made in the image of God so that we can be pleasing to him. We can uh, love him and treasure him as the greatest thing in the universe. In fact, the gospel is able to change anyone. That's what we need to tell people. In in John chapter 3, turn to John 3, and let's look at John 3 verse 3 briefly here. John chapter 3 verse 3. This is a really interesting example of understanding what the what the greatest human need is. John chapter 3, Jesus tells Nicodemus, a man who identified uh, who is identified as a leader among the Jews, but who did not truly know his need for a new identity. He tells him, look at look at verse 3. Chapter three, verse three, Jesus says to Nicodemus, who said, who had said in verse two, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with them. And then Jesus just skips right to the point, right? He gets right to the heart. Nicodemus, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And then verse five, truly, truly, I say to you, Nicodemus. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. And what that is, that is language. That is new covenant language that God pronounced to Israel that a day was coming when he would remove that, like we talked about, the heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh and cause them to walk in his ways and his Spirit would be in them. This is what you need, Nicodemus. And then we see that kind of described in more detail in the New Testament that a washing, a regenerating, a cleansing would come through the Holy Spirit This is what you need, Nicodemus. You need a new start. Another way you could say this, you need a new identity. You you, you do need a new identity. And that's what people in the LGBTQ world are looking for, isn't it? They are seeking to identify themselves as something other than what they are. They're looking to redefine themselves, hoping that there they will find satisfaction and joy and rest and peace. And the very thing that they're looking for, Christ actually offers in a way that is all satisfying. He offers a new heart. Jesus is saying, once you're born again, you identify as a new man, a new creature in Christ. And so that's what we need to keep in mind as we interact with those who are struggling with LGBTQ sins. We just need to remember... Lord, what they need is they need a new identity. They need, just like I did, I need it to be defined by Christ and not by sin anymore, not by my rebellion against God. Once you're born again, you identify as a new creature in Christ, not a dead man. You lay aside the old self and you put on the new, like in Colossians chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. You've got that in your notes, but let me just read that to you. He says, do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. And so once you become a child of God, this is what a biblical anthropology affirms, you're you're free to pursue Christ-likeness while rejecting sin not defining yourself by your sin or by the, the label of your sin, but by Christ. I'm no longer a slave to sin or a, 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 a slave to impurity or impure desires. I'm a, I'm a slave to Christ. And so the very thing that the LGBTQ movement is pushing and promises, that is that you must merely define yourself according to your feelings and that, that if you want want to or feel like doing something you should do that thing you should feel that way that is a good thing rather than that, that and that's that's what the movement is is pushing that's the very thing that they're promising is that if you just go after your desires just simply redefine yourself to fit those feelings that you'll be happy but the problem is it cannot deliver by way of hormone treatment or intimacy or by surgeries to change the physical, your physical appearance, what it is pushing and promises through those things, it cannot deliver. And I shared that example of Chloe Cole with you last week, now a 20-year-old who, who looks back on that, that, that nightmare of, a, of, of teenage years. None of it helped her. In fact, it made her worse, more depressed more troubled the very things that the doctors and the surgeons and the pharmaceutical professionals were were saying would make you happy just chase your feelings chase your desires chase your identity whatever you want that to be and then eventually you'll be happy in that it did not make her happy it left her even more broken So only Christ can remake a person so that they are whole and satisfied and filled. No removal of body parts or addition of fake body parts can make someone feel more whole. You've just got to know that they have been deceived by a lie that is destroying them. And so though you might see it, in the news by actresses or actors, whoever it is, oh, I, I just feel like, I feel like I'm finally who I, I was meant to be. You know that as you, as you look into their eyes and you know that in the deepest parts of their soul, they are not satisfied. They are not happy, but they are lost and troubled and broken. And though they may be victims in a sense of of people with evil agendas, they themselves have rejected the God who made them and loves them and created them to know him. And they are responsible for their own sin. And that's why we must proclaim to them, come to Christ. Let him define you. He will give you a new heart. He will will give you new desires. And we'll talk more about that next week, some kind of pathways and on-ramps to conversation uh, what what one brother has called kind of an apologetic waltz, how to kind of dance through these conversations in a gospel-centered way. And so we, let's just kind of wrap up this section with some thoughts here. What's interesting is that in, in the next chapter in John, John chapter 4, Jesus talks to, do you remember who after Nicodemus? You can look at your Bibles. The woman of Samaria, the woman of Samaria Right who herself is is trapped and and, uh, living a life devastated by sexual sin. Jesus says in the next chapter to the woman at the well that he alone is the the source of satisfaction and joy that she was looking for. Verse 7 says, A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food, and the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? This, this was scandalous. Now, not sinfully, right? Jesus is not doing anything sinful. But in the culture, in the Jewish culture, this would have been scandalous, not only for him to talk to a Samaritan woman, but a, a woman altogether, whom he did not know, who was part of the, the Samaritan, uh, who were... Who were Uh, not Jews, who were not a part of the the blessings and the family of God. And, And Jesus says, answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. And the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw water with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons. And his livestock. And Jesus said to her, "Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life." He knew that this woman did not have this water; she was not satisfied in God alone. In verse fifteen, the woman said to him, "Sir, give me this water, so that I will be not be thirsty, or have to come here to draw water." And Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come to her, uh, and come here. And the woman answered him, I have no husband. Strange interaction, right, if you just left off there. But Jesus said to her, you are right in saying, I have no husband, for you have had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. And listen to this response. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet And then what's fascinating is uh, when she, she leaves, the woman left her jar in verse 28 and went away into the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? This woman was in sin and Jesus Knew that her soul was not satisfied, but he offered to her water, him, himself as, as water that would satisfy and sustain her soul. And so, for the believer, even a believer tempted by maybe disordered desires, in, in a church our size, certainly there are folks who, who wrestle with these kinds of temptations and sins. You, you do not identify with your sin any longer. It doesn't define you. And though you sin, though we sin, we are sinners saved and made new. And so now we identify with being made in God's image. And upon repentance, we became children of God. And what this woman needed was to turn from her sin of living with men and and relating to men and being engaged with men who were not her husband and find joy and satisfaction and belief and obedience and repentance. And that's exactly what we get to do. And this is exactly what we need to offer to those in the world. And so we identify with him. We're not our sin. Uh, A person is not... Uh, lesbian. They are not gay. They are not bisexual. They are not transgender. They are not queer or questioning or two-spirit or any of the other countless ways that the, that the world, I know I just kind of threw a bunch of things out there like two-spirited. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, It's all kind of lumped in this um, LGBTQIA2 plus thing. Though people try to identify them as their sin, we must know that no, it is not right to do that. They are made in the image of God, and they too can become a creature, a new creation in Christ. And so that's why it makes no sense to say that someone uh, is uh, is gay or is uh, you know that they are an addict. We don't define people by their sins or by their enslavement. We define people as people made in the image of God who are sinners that need to repent and and be made new in Christ. You're not your sin. And if you're a Christian, you're not not something and a Christian. There's no such thing as, as a gay Christian or a worldly christian those things or maybe you could just say those are synonymous no we are christians and there are sins that we battle we go to war with we seek godly counsel over we say god what does your word say and whatever it says despite what my desires tell me that are sinful i want to honor you and so we don't have to be ashamed to bring our our sins and our struggles into the light and say god i want help or brother or sister would you help me would you, would you pray with me? I want to come under the submission of godly counselors and, and say, I need help. Would you help me? Even with these struggles, these temptations, or any other sin. And so as we offer this, this better alternative to be defined by Christ who made them and knows them, there knows their weakness, knows their sin, knows their need. We want to tell them that they could have a true identity in Christ Jesus alone. And as we offer that better alternative, it's important to remember that behind every question is a questioner. Behind every objection to these truths is a person struggling to escape the snares of the devil. Revelation calls the devil the dragon who deceives the nations. Often people, they don't know that they're ensnared, right? They don't know that they're trapped. They don't know that they're blind. In fact, absolutely, we don't understand that. We don't understand our need for the veil to be removed. And this is why we want to approach this issue from a gospel perspective is because what people need is the gospel to transform them, Christ to rule them, to define them. And so as we interact with those who are asking questions, who are struggling, who might think that Christians are, are that, that we hate them, uh, who struggle with these sins, that, that we think they're icky or yucky, the reality is it's just what was once hidden has now become mainstream. And we've got we've to think about how to interact with people. We've got to remember that these are real people with real souls who are really going to spend eternity in heaven or in hell. And unless we reach them, Who will? So let's not forget the value and the worth of this human being that we're talking to made in the image of God. Remember that Christ came to make us more human. He came to restore, renew, and and, uh, recreate desires in people made in the image of God that are broken and to make them new and not, le- not less. And so next week we'll discuss how to kind of keep the conversation going, how to, how to love people by, by asking lots of good questions and, and not just in our minds kind of cutting off the conversation when we see them dressed funny or their hair's different or they've got a badge on their jacket of a, a, a rainbow uh, flag or something like that. We'll talk about how to talk to our children, parents, how to, how to be teaching our children regularly, think, helping them think through these things. Think about students for you in school. How to engage in, in these conversations in a winsome and in a, in a meaningful way, and how to how to how to keep a conversation going so that you can get to the gospel as you deal with these issues. And then we'll kind of do some frequently asked questions uh, section as well. So we'll we'll cover quite a bit next week. But um, so that's where we're going for next week. And we'll get really practical and uh, uh, kind of deal with some FAQs as we wrestle